we began a sermon series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. That's a mouthful. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, looking at the world of our feelings. And you might be like, what is this? If you haven't been with us for a while and you're like, okay, we're looking at our feelings in the Bible. Exactly. We're in this series, though, because we want to know ourselves truthfully, to know what we are feeling, and to be able to honestly share that with each other. We want to people who tell the truth about what we think, about what we feel, but how often are we actually unaware of even what we're thinking or what we're feeling in the world of our feelings? This is something that we, as your leaders, are learning a lot about. This is something that the Spirit has really heavily been pressing into us over this last year. This is something that we have been very ignorant of in the past, but we think that the Spirit, again, is very much doing a new thing here at Redemption Church. And this transformation that's happening in our parts as your pastors is one thing that is part of that. And again, if you even want to step back, not just at the life of redemption, but think in general about the church in America Think about the evangelical church. Think about the reformed world of churches that we are a part of. Often, we try to solve things with just our what? With our heads. If you have a problem, you need to think your way through it. If you have a problem with a sin or a problem with your marriage, here's a book. Go read a book. Or go get counseling so you can learn some better tips and tricks. If you have some issue that you're struggling with, well, here's a way that you can just know more and somehow we think that's going to change you. And maybe you have even been on the receiving end of this from us as your pastors. But what we are realizing, what we are seeing, even within our own souls, is that the problem often is not a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of Bible studies. Though Bible studies are important, the problem is often that we are not getting to the true area where our brokenness lies, which is in the realm of our emotions, which is that area, as we uh, saw in that picture a couple weeks ago from Scott, it's the area under the iceberg. If you look at a picture of an iceberg floating in water, you see the tip of the iceberg that's visible, but most of the iceberg is underneath the water, the unexplored areas of our fears, of our hurts, of our emotions. And we need to learn how the gospel speaks to that. So that's why we're in this series. We, as Christians, often don't understand the fact that God designed us to have emotions. He designed us to have feelings, but we often discredit our emotions and write them off. We don't know what to do with them. But the simple reality is, your emotions that you have are how you show your need and how you express love for each other. Because the simple reality is, it's impossible to love someone unless they show you their need. Have you ever met someone? It's just like, it's just really hard to love them. Or have you often thought, man, people don't really love me. I don't feel loved by people here. I would challenge you to say and to think, well, am I telling them what I need? Am I being honest about where I'm really at, what I'm thinking? The simple reality is, you can't experience love unless you show need. And trust me, as a pastor, I hear a lot from people that they don't feel loved. If 
but how often is that because people aren't actually being honest about where they're at? When it comes to emotions, in the world of emotions, often, sadly, there's two sides of the spectrum. There's this almost hyper-toxic lack of emotion that sadly is equated with being masculine. I'm a man, I don't show my emotion. And then there's this other only thinking what your emotions are, and that's often sadly equated with femininity, which is stupid. So we often land on one or these two poles, and both are deadly to your relationships and to your walk with God, and even to knowing what God himself is like. So throughout this series, me and Scott have been really learning a lot from several different thinkers, psychologists, Bible theologians. One man in particular named Chip Dodd has been very helpful and instructive to us. He has a book called The Voice of the Heart, uh, which I would strongly recommend you read with your, within your MC, within your family. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, Scott talked about, and we got this from this guy Chip Dodd, that emotions, our feelings, are the lanterns to our soul. They're the passwords that we use to get underneath to know, okay, what, what really am I thinking and feeling here? Our emotions give us access into our souls. They help us understand what is going on underneath and then how the gospel comes in there. And so we're exploring what we want to call the eight primary feelings and seeing how those feelings are actually given to us by God as tools. So the feelings are hurt, which Scott covered a couple weeks ago before Palm Sunday and Easter. So the emotion of hurt, the emotion of fear, the emotion of being lonely, of being sad, anger, shame, guilt, and glad. So today, we're looking at the emotion of fear. Fear. When you think about fear, have you heard any of these phrases? Fear is a lack of faith. Fear is sinful. Fear is an emotion that you can just put out of your mind. Fear is childish. It's immature. Fear can be willed away. Fear can be prayed away. Have any of you heard any of those? Let me ask you, not only do those sound familiar... Think about being a kid when you were a child. What did you think about fear then? How were you treated in your family when you said, I am afraid? What was that like for you? Perhaps an even more sinister question is, what has the church taught you about fear? And what you should do when you have fear? We often just assume Fear is bad. It is bad to have this emotion, and we just need to root it out. But this morning, I want to ask you one big question. Is fear bad, or is fear intended to lead us somewhere? I use that word intended on purpose. Are anxiety and fear the exact same thing? Or are they different? And is one leading us to ask for help, and the other is rooted in a refusal to acknowledge our need. So this morning, we're going to look at a scripture passage, Matthew 14, that shows us a powerful picture of Jesus and trust 
and fear and being in need. This might be a familiar story, but I want to ask you this morning to put everything you think you know about this passage on hold and to hear this story in a fresh way. I want you to use your imagination, use your senses, and put yourself in this story. I want you to put yourself in the boat with the disciples in the storm. So I'm going to ask Brenna to come up. And she's going to read our scripture passage for us. Brenna, thank you for being willing to read. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in, fourth, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when they saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. We can definitely thank God for his word this morning and for Brenna reading it for us. Let's pray as we jump into this. Jesus, we do thank you that even as we just heard, you are a God who meets us in our fear. And so this morning, as we talk about fear, I ask for your help for me. As I try to teach this, I ask for help for each of us here. Jesus, that we would hear your voice this morning. We wouldn't hear Nate's voice. We would hear the voice of God coming through his word this morning. Jesus, thank you that we can already pray in confidence knowing that you will meet us in these next couple minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. This last week, I spent four full days, Monday through Thursday, contemplating fear. It wasn't because I was preaching on fear either. I spent four days with Jana, thinking about fear, walking around places that were known for fear, hearing stories about men and women who overcame fear. And again, it's not because I was preaching on fear, it's because me and Jana visited the city of Gettysburg. Gettysburg is a town in southern Pennsylvania that was the site of one of the bloodiest and costliest battles in the American Civil War. Fought over three days in July of 1863 in the small town of Gettysburg, men from the north, men from the south, they faced each other in fields, in forests, on rocks, in hills, and every one of them had to march into battle and face fear. It's a whole countryside full of stories about fear and how soldiers had to combat each other and combat their fear. So I'd highly recommend you visit this town and actually learn about this battle. But there's a movie made about Gettysburg called Gettysburg. It's a great movie. It's four and a half hours long. And it's fantastic. But in one scene, 
they're recreating this huge charge that was taking place. And a young soldier is seen crouching down behind a fence, holding on and just weeping in fear. He's shaking, he's crying, he's hiding. And one of the generals, a man named Louis Armistead, reaches down and grabs him and says, come on, son, what will you think of yourself tomorrow? Come on, son, man up. What will you think of yourself tomorrow? But the sad reality is, this guy probably wasn't going to see tomorrow. Most of these guys weren't going to see tomorrow. So did this guy have reason to be afraid? Yeah, he absolutely did. He was facing death. And what we often miss is that that is exactly what was happening with the disciples in the boat. They were facing certain death in that boat. If you've grown up in the church, if you've heard this story, you've heard about Jesus and the men in the boat, it's probably become pretty dull in your minds. You probably wouldn't think of it with the same intensity as like men marching into being blown away by cannons and rifles. But the disciples in the boat had every reason to be afraid because they were facing certain death. Look in the text with me. It says the wind was against them. It says that they were beaten by the waves because they'd been rowing for hours. They were smote. Have you ever been so tired but knew you had to keep going? It's kind of a terrible feeling. This body of water they were in was not like a pond, like, oh, wow, oh, no, a little storm. They were most likely three miles from shore. No land in sight, no let up for the storm. So what were they afraid of? Yes, death, but they were afraid of drowning. Let your mind think about the fear and panic of drowning. I know some people, won't call anyone out, but who are so scared of drowning, they don't even go in the ocean. They don't even go near water because they're so afraid of drowning. But oceans and storms and waves and drowning, like, that's a legit fear. And then on top of that, what else happens in the story? Look in your Bible. They see a ghost walking towards them. And in that ancient context, that could only mean one thing. This is most likely a spiritual attack, some type of demonic force walking out to them on the water. Look at what it says. Verse 14. Grown adult fishermen cried out in fear. So, this morning, in this account, and in looking at our own lives, I want us to realize fear itself is not wrong. Fear itself is not wrong. Because fear is intended to do something. Fear is an emotion given by God to do something. Fear is a feeling that allows us to recognize when we're in danger, right? Fear, it's an emotion when we feel we're in danger. And obviously, there's many kinds of danger. Obviously, in this story, there's fear of physical bodily danger, bodily harm. But what about relational danger? 
What about emotional danger? What about things you are afraid to do in life because you're afraid that a relationship or trust might be damaged? So it's not bodily, physical harm. It's relational, emotional damage. You sense fear when you think that something might be cut off. For example, do you fear confrontation? It's because you sense fear of how someone might react. Do you fear being honest and speaking your mind? Is that just because you fear getting pushed back and not knowing how you're going to respond? But what we have to realize is that fear is a feeling that allows us to know when we need help. And thus, you need to ask for help. So think about that. Fear's not just a bad thing. When you sense fear, that should trigger something in you saying, I need to ask for help right here. Let me ask you, what do you think about fearless people? Because the reality is, fearless people are careless people. People who don't care, don't value. People who aren't afraid of anything, because they're careless. If you don't fear physical danger, have any sense of fear at physical danger, you're not brave, you're a fool. If you don't fear hurting other people, hurting their emotions, damaging a relationship, you're not tough, you're a narcissist. And you're in danger yourself. Fearlessness is not some attribute to be attained because fear is supposed to do something. It's supposed to function in our lives. This is because ultimately fear is about expressing need. Think about that. That completely changes the way we think about fear. When I sense fear, it's because there's something I need. We're going to keep pressing into this. If you think about it, we often think of need as weakness. But friends, need didn't happen when sin entered the world, when brokenness came. Humanity was designed with need. We were intended to be dependent, needy creatures. That's how God designed us. God himself is relational, and thus relationships only work when there's a longing and a desire, and that's shared with people. Again, that author I referred to, Mr. Chip Dodd, he says that our feelings, our needs reveal the desperation of hope and the courage to express it. Think about that. The desperation of hope and the courage to express it. We were made to have feelings. So what is the feeling of fear revealing? That you need protection. That you need help. That you need a refuge. This is because fear is designed to help us recognize danger and then ask for help. When you sense fear, that is a call. Not to say, oh, I shouldn't be afraid. No. You need something. And are you willing to ask for it? Look back at Matthew 14 with me. Look back in your Bibles. So obviously fear in this situation was right. It was obvious. To not fear in this situation would have been stupid. But again, think through this story. What do you see in it? The disciples saw the winds and the waves, and they were afraid. When Peter begins to sink, what does he do? He asks for help. How quickly does Jesus respond to Peter asking for help? 
What does it say? Immediately. He didn't say, come on, bro. I'm right here. No, immediately he reaches in response to his request for help. And Jesus says to Peter in his fear, come to me. Notice the text says, when they were afraid, Jesus comes and then says to Peter, Peter, come to me. I want you to think about what Jesus says. Look in the passage. Jesus says, in your fear, take heart. Why? Because it is me. Often we don't get this in our English Bibles, but the Greek language, the wording here, is very intentionally using wording, showing that Jesus was saying that he was the God of the Old Testament. The God in the Old Testament, God the Father, as he revealed himself, told his people to call him Yahweh, which means I am. I am that I am. That is what the people of God call him. That was his special covenant name. And when Jesus says, don't fear, he's saying I am. I am here walking towards you in this storm. That's why you don't fear. Jesus here invites Peter, he invites the disciples, and he invites us to bring our need, our fear, to God himself. So, what's really important is that we need to ask now, okay, well, what happens when we don't express our need and fear? What happens when fear comes and you don't actually do the work of expressing your need? What happens if you cut fear off and just bottle it up, don't ask for the help you need, don't express humility in your need? What happens then? That's when you get anxiety. That is where anxiety kicks in. This is where we have to realize that fear and anxiety are not the same thing. Fear is designed to push us to ask for help. Anxiety is a response to not dealing with your fear. And what does it provoke us to do? To run, to fight, to freeze. So think about it. Impaired fear is anxiety. Again, Mr. Chip Dodd says, anxiety is the belief that I won't be okay because I'm vulnerable. It's a rejection of needing. This means that when you get anxious, it's because you are not expressing the needs that your fear is created. Does that make sense? Anxiety, in one sense, is an impaired expression of how we were supposed to live. Anxiety is, in one sense, is biology. Because you learn to see, okay, I'm afraid. Here's what I need to do and respond to that fear. Or, nope, I can deal with this. I got this. I can change my environment. Holy crap, now I'm freaking out and I'm anxious. So if you are someone who would say, I am anxious, I feel anxious, ask yourself, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? Your fear isn't bad. Think about this, especially for the anxious folks out there, of which I, I lead that club. What is your fear pointing you to? But often, we don't stop long enough to ask that. We don't stop long enough to say, here's what I'm really afraid of, here's what I really need. For those of you who are anxious, we often just want to work hard and overcome our fear, and I'm just going to get over it. I'll just stop being like this. But, 
that means that you need to do the work of looking underneath the iceberg. Again, that analogy of the iceberg is so helpful, or even as it relates to fear. Thought about being a kid, and when you're afraid that some boogie monster is under your bed, what do you gotta do? You gotta look under the bed. You can't just, okay, I know there's not one because that wouldn't make sense, right? But there could be one, could be there. What do you gotta do? You gotta look underneath the bed of your soul. You gotta stop and say, what am I afraid of? What do I need to ask for help for? From God, from other people. For the anxious people, we often, in our anxiety, when we don't allow fear to have us express our need, we just try to change the situation. We try to change the environment. We try to busy ourselves with other things, and, oh, I'm just going to block it out. I'm not going to think about it. No, 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 not going there. Change our surroundings. Change our relationships. Rather than doing the hard work of saying, stop. What's going on? What do I need to ask for help for right now? Anxiety comes when you reject your fear. Anxiety is often the dread of what we don't think we know actually coming to happen. Anxiety often comes when we try to keep something from happening. But let me ask you this, like, we live in a fearful world. There is a truckload of things to be afraid of. You can be asleep and be afraid. Fear of things in the past. Fear of things happening again from the past in the future. Relational harm that you've walked through. I don't want that to happen again. I'm afraid of that happening again. Physical things that have happened. Pain or trauma or medical body issues you've walked through. You're afraid of that happening again. We often think that we're just afraid of the unknown. But no. We're often afraid of what we've already had experience happening again getting repeated. So what do we do? We try to anticipate that fearful thing happening. We try to move things around and take control. But, again, for those in the anxiety club, you know where this leads. Maybe you don't. If you are an anxious person and you try to go that route, that leads to rage. Ask yourself how much you've been angry about these things that make you angry. Leads to isolation. Leads to silence because of that rage. Chip Dot again says, we become defensive. Anxiety lets me survey my world for control. I have to get a hold of other people's thoughts or actions, so that means I have to lay claim to God-like qualities that I do not have. I have to stay away from all the things that I have fear about. Anxiety leads to control, which leads to isolation, which leads to having to now manage all of life to have control of everything. But what happens if we realize that our fears don't have to go to anxiety? It doesn't have to go that way. Just because that's how you've responded in the past doesn't mean that has to be the rest of your narrative. What if your fear is showing you you need to ask for help? There's things that you legitimately need to ask God and other people for. This is because fear is designed by God 
to push us towards faith and towards wisdom. Fear is intended to push us towards faith and wisdom. Let's think about faith. That our fear is intended to push us towards faith. We often think fear is a lack of faith. It's not true. Faith is not something that you have like an event. Oh, I I have faith right now. Faith is something that grows. I heard someone say the analogy that faith is like a tree. That how does a tree grow? It grows outward. You ever looked at those rings on a tree, those concentric circles? Our faith grows. Our faith grows as we walk through experiences and see how God meets us. And if your faith is on the truths and promises of God, it will grow. Faith comes, think about this, as you walk through situations and then see how it gets worked out. Faith, this is what's crazy, and I, we never stop to think about these things. We think of faith as just some like supernatural thing out there Faith works in conjunction with your memory. You think it's any like random reason that God always tells his people, remember. Use your brain. Use your memory. That will lead to faith. See how there have been times when you took a risk, you stepped out, and what did God do? He met you. Maybe he didn't give you the answer you wanted, but he met you. He showed up which then that allows you to learn, to anticipate, to say, you know what? I can have faith in this situation. In faith, we step out, we cry out to God, we say, I need help. I'm afraid. I need to ask for help. And then what do you do? You see how he shows up. Faith grows into a thing called certainty. Check this out. Certainty, when you have certainty about anything, That creates a willingness to experience pain for that which you believe in more than the pain. I'm going to read that again. Certainty creates a willingness to experience pain for that which you believe in more than the pain. That doesn't mean that you don't ever doubt. That will happen because life is crazy. Life is tragic. Things always happen that we can't anticipate. But what we realize when that fear comes that we can say in the midst of our doubts the one who said he's going to be with me is faithful. I've seen it. I know he will be. Even though I feel crushed right now, he's going to meet me because I've seen how he's done it in the past. So that's fear pushing us to faith. Let's think about fear pushing us to wisdom. Fear is intended to push you towards wisdom. Wisdom is learning how to walk rightly with God in this world in step with his reality, not the realities that our anxieties are pushing us towards. In wisdom, you can say, God, I don't have to live in my anxieties because you have shown me the right tools. You've equipped me with wisdom, with resources, with community, with your spirit to help me walk out in wisdom what these fears are showing me. I heard this man say, this means that though I know the value of the shadow of death is trying to crush me, it's just shadows. Because you're with me. The valley of the shadow of death is just shadows. And my feelings are showing me how to ask for the help that I need. So wisdom 
also comes as we remember, as we see experiences where God has met us in our need. So, to wrap all this up, we're going to go back to Matthew 14. Fear shows you what you need. Do you need protection? Do you need help? Do you need refuge, safety? We know that in the good news of Jesus, we have our protection, our help, our refuge. But you only get access to that if you allow your fear to help you honestly express what you need. Go back to Matthew 14, Jesus in the storm. Sadly, we've often been taught, I know I have, this is how I grew up thinking about this passage, that Jesus basically pulls Peter up with one hand and then smacks him with the other hand. Have you been taught that? He condemns Peter. Where's your faith? Why are you afraid? The passage says, Jesus responded immediately. He immediately responded to a request for help. Just want us to think. Do you think Jesus will do that for you? Notice, he didn't just pull Peter out of the water either. Because based on the wording used in this text, he actually confronts Peter's response in fear, which was a response of flight, of running, of not going towards Jesus. Peter grew anxious. And the wording used in the original language, it was the wording of running in fear. That's what that word fear is about. So Jesus asks Peter, why did you doubt? Which means, you were there with me, but then your fear kicked in and you tried to run. What was that about? Why, why did you have to run? I, Peter, I was right there with you. What did you think, Peter, was going to happen? Think about that in your life. What do you think is going to happen? Jesus is there with Peter. Did Peter think that he was, Jesus is just going to go, see ya? Do you think God's going to do that in your life? See ya. Jesus isn't condemning Peter for having fear because he answers the disciples and Peter and us in our fear. He asks Peter, what did you do in your fear? Where did you go in your fear? And this is because fear is not the absence of faith. Fear is the confession that results in the gift of faith. Fear is not the absence of faith, but the confession that results in the gift of faith. So for us, as we go to close, to prepare to sing, as we go to take communion in a minute, I just want to ask all of you here, adults, parents, teens, young kids that are in here today, I want to ask you guys, where in your life are you running? Where in your life is fear leading you to anxiety? Let's just think about this for a minute. Let's just try to quiet our hearts and think about these questions. In your fears, whatever types of fears, those would be relational fears, physical fears, fears of danger. In your fear, are you moving towards expressing need? Or are you bottling up your fears and ignoring them? What needs do you have? 
What needs do you have this morning? We all have needs. As you think about your fear, what needs are bubbling up and you know? Yeah. Spirit, you nailed me on this one. And for some of us, maybe where have you retreated into isolation in your fears? Where you just stop talking about them and hope they go away. Over the last several years, through some of the training that I've had, the huge benefit of getting to walk through, of learning to confess and repent of my own fears. I remember this one time very specifically, I was sharing with an older, wiser pastor about fear, and he said, Nate, what's Jesus calling you to right now? I remember this clear as day. He said, Nate, what's Jesus calling you to? And then he said to me, what do you need to ask Jesus for? I think the exact same question is for us today. Redemption Church, each of you, what do you need to ask Jesus for today? For me at the time, I said, I need courage because I'm scared to death. 